You may be seated. Morning, church. Your guests, and I met several guests this morning already. Uh, welcome, special welcome to you. My name is Kelly. I serve as senior pastor here. Glad you're here. Hope you feel quickly at home. When we read the book of Revelation as moderns, we tend to ask the question, what happens next? Most assume that the book is a progression of events unfolding chronologically. One thing happening, then the next thing happening, and then the next. That's because as moderns, we most often approach storytelling in a linear fashion, which is fine, nothing wrong with that. That's our perspective, that's our culture. We think history writing or uh, future writing even should be a linear progression of events. Revelation, though, is a unique genre of literature called apocalyptic. And it is more mosaic in its storytelling rather than linear, which means a better question to ask is not what happens next, but what is seen next or what is heard next. As moderns, we are fact-heavy in our storytelling. We want to know days and dates and times and events. And for some, there's been a little consternation that I've not gone that way as I've made my way through the book of Revelation. But the ancient world generally, and apocalyptic literature specifically, was image-heavy. Image-heavy. In apocalyptic literature, there are all types of strange sights and sounds described. They're meant to communicate realities beyond simply the unfolding of events. Last week, for example, Jesus was celebrated as the only person worthy to take a scroll from the right hand of God. With writing on both sides of the scroll, it's a powerful image of God's unfolding work throughout time and space to restore creation, to make right relationships that have suffered through sin, which Robert talked about some this morning. In this week's passage of Scripture, John next describes hearing seven trumpets. Imagine in your mind's eye a succession of seven trumpet blasts, each blown to herald a distinct element of God's unfolding judgment. Ancients who read about the seven trumpets would have had in mind something like a shofar. This is from the head of a curdu. Imagine growing this, right? Sorry, I couldn't help. In biblical history, trumpets of this sort were used to announce the coming of God in splendor, God's coming victorious. For example, the Lord descended on Mount Sinai, delivering the law to Moses with trumpet blasts. The Battle of Jericho was fought and in largest part won through blowing trumpets. Trumpets signaled the arrival of the Jubilee year, which is the year in which debt was canceled in Israel. We live in the Jubilee year of salvation history. That is to say, 50 years have passed, right? And so to speak, through time and space, and we have had our debts canceled. There's good reason to blow a trumpet. Our debts have been canceled through faith in Christ. Should I give it a try? 
Now, I've worked all week on this. I am not a trumpet player. Uh, and I'll stop making excuses, but... I would say that was 50-50. I wasn't sure which way that would go. It would be easy to think that that's a speaker's stunt. Folks, when we read the Bible, let's read it slowly enough to hear the sounds described. Imagine trumpets heralding the arrival of Christ, our Savior. This will be the fifth sermon in the series to date. We've covered what's on the screen in week one. I noted the five-stage nature of Revelation. Revelation 1 opens and it says that God the Father gave to God the Son, Jesus Christ, who then entrusted to an angel the revelation to carry it to John, that's the fourth stage, who in turn wrote it down and sent it to seven specific churches. This morning, the church is still reading the book of Revelation. Five-stage revelation. The beauty of a five-stage revelation is we see that God the Father includes created beings in telling his redemptive story in the world. He's still including us. He's still including us. In week two, we read of John's vision of the glorified Christ. Revelation is from God the Father. It's about God the Son. The book is about God the Son. His exaltation, God the Son, Jesus was seen with seven stars in his right hand and standing among seven trumpet, uh, trumpets, I've got trumpets on my mind, uh, seven golden lampstands. The seven messengers were angelic beings charged to carry the message to the seven churches. The seven lampstands that Christ was standing among, Christ is among his churches. They were representing the seven churches in Asia Minor to which this letter would originally go. In week three, we considered the words of Jesus to each of those seven churches. Integral to each of the seven messages was the call to repent and continue in faithfulness to the church in Ephesus. Jesus said, repent and do the things you did at first. To the church in Sardis, Jesus said, What you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. And to the church in Laodicea, he said, Be earnest and repent. Last week, we considered the first description of God's coming judgment upon the earth, what were pictured as seven seals along the scroll which was held by the hand of God and taken from God the Father's hand by God the Son. He alone was worthy to break these seals and open the scroll and and finish out redemptive history, to carry redemptive history to its climax, overcoming evil in the world, restoring creation, brings us to this morning's passage. And it's a long one, Revelation 8, 9, 10, and 11, just as God called to repentance the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, his hope for the world is no different. His hope for the world, those who are not yet in the church, is no different. His hope is the seven successive trumpet blasts pouring out judgment, heralding judgment on the world would bring repentance. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 8. I'm going to read just uh, four verses there. This is the beginning of the trumpets 
and their judgments. Revelation 8, verse 2, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of God's people, I find that fascinating, on the golden altar in front of the throne. Our prayers matter. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it onto the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And then successively, there are seven trumpets, each trumpet heralding a distinct judgment. Verse 5 there, there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. My sophomore year at Wheaton College, I traveled with a group of buddies to the Bahamas for spring break. One of the guys in our friend group had grown up in Nassau. His folks were missionaries there, not a bad calling, right? He invited about 10 of us down for the week, and we slept on the floor of his family room. His parents were saints, 10 guys in their family room for a week. It was a great week of sun and surf and friendship. All week long, there were blue skies and blue waters. We swam and horsed around on the beach. It was a paradise, as you might imagine, except for one day. In the middle of the week, a storm blew in. We had gone to bed, burnt to a crisp by spending another, yet another day on the beach. But when we woke, we were surprised by how the weather had changed so dramatically. We were disappointed to learn from our host family that they had closed the beaches for the day. Charcoal gray clouds, can you picture those in your mind? Were pushing across the island. And I remember thinking to myself as I stood in the front window of their house looking out at the palm trees. Wow, I thought, I didn't realize palm trees could bend like that. It was unlike any storm that I had ever been exposed to. And like any reasonable tourist to the island, we decided to go to the beach. Why let a little bit of rain and wind stand in the way of a day at the beach? I remember the guys talking about how fun it would be to body surf during storm surge. And our host, mother and father, working to dissuade us. They did their best to talk us out of going to the beach, saying, Quote, they don't close the beach for nothing. And me thinking, it's great to be 19. When we got to the beach, the sidewalk leading down to the beach was barricaded, signs noting danger, beach closed, uh, dangerous surf. We walked around that. Started down this long pathway to the beach. It was raining hard. We reasoned we we're going to get wet anyway didn't bother us. We could hear the waves hitting the beach long before we could see them. This was different. We'd not been able to hear the waves earlier in the week, and I thought, wow, this is going to be something. And sure enough, the waves were massive. The beach was completely empty. No one there. As we stood at a distance watching the waves crash, we guessed they were about 10 feet tall. It was a little hard to tell from where we were standing because the beach was dramatically sloped to meet the water, but 
when we got down to the beach and our toes are in the surf, they were at least twice our height. We paused momentarily, each guy waiting to see who would be the first into the water. Some of the guys had widely, wisely decided to wait at a safer distance. It was at that point a helicopter flew down the beach and from a megaphone warned us not to go in the water. The voice on the megaphone said something like, beach closed, it was a recording, or it seemed to be recorded. Stay out of the water, dangerous surf. But remember, at this point, I had already disregarded the pleas of our host parents, and we had walked around physical barricades that marked the beach closed. Why would we listen to an unknown voice shouting from a helicopter? And I'll be honest with you, at the age of 19, I had something in me that didn't serve me well in those moments. And I remember thinking to myself, well, now I've got to go in. As I slowly inched into the water, we tried to time it so that we met with a trough rather than a wall. You know, wave trough, wave crest. The undertow made it very difficult to do so, pulling us to the bottom of a wave wall immediately. I'm a strong swimmer, certified lifeguard. Thank you. The stupidity is overwhelming. So I paddled, reasoning that I could, I could manage it. Immediately sucked into the bottom of a wave wall that came crashing down me and I had never felt that type of force in my life on my body, and I've not felt that type of force since, and I've had several car crashes since that time. I immediately lost my bearing. I was under the water, but unable to tell which way was up. Then another wave hit. It forced me to the bottom and pushed me along the gravel floor, scraping my legs and torso. I remember thinking that my flesh was being opened. For some reason, that's how I remember thinking about it. Not I'm being cut, but I'm more being, trying not to be too graphic here on Sunday morning. I remember thinking I'm being, although pushed along the floor, I remember thinking I'm being pushed up. Remember there was a slope on the beach and this wave was pushing, I could tell I was rising as the wave pushed me along the floor, and I thought to myself, good, hopefully I'll land on the beach. A couple seconds later, it spit me up on the beach. I was bleeding. I had sand in my eyelids because I had opened my eyes under the water to try and find my bearings. I crawled out of the water as quickly as I could. I remember my buddies laughing. And then I reasoned, once is enough for me. Sadly, we heard the next day that someone had lost their life on the beach that day, albeit on the other side of the island. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it onto the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Clearly, God is allowing this angel to send calamity to the earth. Pretty straightforward interpretation. And what follows is a series of seven trumpet blasts heralding the arrival of seven successive judgments, which are detailed over the course of 
chapters 9 and 10 and 11. Here are the seven successive judgments. Now you may be thinking to yourself, why seven more judgments? Again, think mosaic, not linear. We just had seven seals opened on a scroll which uh, God the Father handed the only person worthy to execute history, God the Son. So what's the purpose here? Why bring more calamity or describe more calamity? Well, remember again, it's not chronological. It's mosaic. And the sights and sounds of trumpet blast meant to communicate something more than simply one following another. Make no mistake, time is progressing as the book of Revelation is unfolding. It's not that time isn't progressing, but the description of these events are revealed in a repeated fashion to confirm the certainty of the events with the trumpet blasts repeating, at least to some degree, already repeating what has been described to some degree in the seals that were opened. And later we'll read of seven bowls that are poured out on the earth. So we have seals and we have trumpet blasts and we have these bowls that are going to be poured out. So rather than reading the seals and the trumpets and the bowls chronologically, we should think of them as echoes. You know how echoes work. We have here a set, a series of three sevens. And with each echo, there is increased certainty about what we're hearing, what is unfolding, what is coming. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Ever have trouble hearing? With each echo, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, we have increased certainty, judgments coming. And there's growing proximity with each to the final judgment. Again, history is progressing, and this mosaic description helps us understand that it is certain to progress. We're moving towards a final judgment. And although difficult to endure hail and fire and falling stars, which are counted in these seven trumpet blasts, these successive judgments are limited in their impact, and they are accompanied with the hope that some would repent. The catastrophic events described in the seven seals and trumpets, and again later in the seven bowls, are foretastes of the final judgment when God's wrath will be unrestrained. But if you read through chapters 8 and 9 and 11, you'll get that there is a limit to the, the wrath God is pouring out at that time. As if he's forestalling his judgment, even as he shows judgment, and you're, you're asking why. It's his expressed hope that some will come to repentance. It's God's desire that with each trumpet blast, people will turn from sin and turn to a dependence on Christ in faith. Think of it this way. God's hope is that although we are prone to not listening to verbal warnings, 
like warnings from a host family who tells a 19-year-old they don't close the beach for no reason. And although we are prone to, to walking around physical barriers to sin, like barricades marking the path down to, towards storm surge, and although we are prone to not listening to shouted warnings of someone with a megaphone from a helicopter, the hope of God is that some will be brought to their senses when the wrath is unleashed and that they will crawl out of the surf saying, that's enough for me. The trumpets blasting are meant to sound an alarm. The Old Testament prophet Joel put it this way, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It's close at hand. The seven successive trumpets of judgment are meant to sound an alarm, warning the foolish, like a 19-year-old young man who thinks he can outswim a storm in the Bahamas, warning the naive, warning the complacent about sin and the certainty of coming judgment. Some of us have disregarded parents' warnings not to dabble with sin. Some of us have physically walked around barriers meant to keep us from sin because we think that the thrill will be worth it and that we're strong enough to endure it. Some of us have grown up hearing amplified preachers saying, get out of the water of sin. And instead of heeding the warning, we walk into the surf. It's God's hope that we would not lose our lives but that we would hear the trumpets, we'd hear the alarm, we'd hear the sound this morning, that blowing this would be more than a, a gimmick that a preacher used on the platform, but that it would actually cause us to pause, that it would get our attention, that we'd understand more is going on More's going on in the world than we can see or understand. We're moving towards judgment and in desperate need of a Savior. Along this lines, uh, these lines, Pastor John Piper once wrote a book titled Don't Waste Your Cancer. Pastor John Piper had cancer himself, and in his reflections on it, he allowed the wind and the hail and the rumblings and the earthquake that came into his life personally as best he could to do the good work to get his attention. What if anything will get our attention? In 12-step programs, addiction recovery programs, they'll often ask, where's your bottom? How far do you have to fall? Let's not waste our cancer. Let's not waste COVID. 
Whatever storms come into our lives, let's not waste them. Let's receive them as they're intended. To communicate with certainty that we live in a world of sin that needs God's redemption. And he's provided for us. Repentance is the initial and the ongoing act of turning away from sin. It's to turn towards godliness. It's the initial and it's the ongoing. So it's important to ask, have you repented of your sin? But it's equally important to ask, are you repenting? It's not a one-time deal. Our little byline here at Glowing Bible Church is helping people follow Jesus. Not simply find salvation, but follow after Christ. Initial and ongoing work of God in our lives. Let the hardships in this world produce a greater dependence upon Christ. On the screen, as the trumpet blasts are sounded and the judgment is poured out, we read a difficult report. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They had made idols. They didn't stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see, hear, or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. You might think to yourself, well, I don't bow to any graven images breaking the second commandment. Well, in the New Testament, as Paul unwraps what idolatry is, he says it's anything that we give our lives to that's been created rather than the creator. We make all of God's good gifts idols at some point. Bowing to created things rather than the creator. To some degree, we're all idolaters in this room. And the question is, have we repented? To trust in Christ initially, are we repenting as followers of Christ? Forsaking sin and living lives of obedience. In preparation, yes, for the great and glorious day of the Lord. Sound the trumpet in Zion. Sound it. Somebody sound it. Judgment certain. We're closer now than we were at the beginning of this sermon. God has provided for us as we face judgment. We should realize that the message of repentance contains within it the promise of forgiveness. And it's beautiful. The message of needed repentance contains within it the certainty of forgiveness for those who repent. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, because of his great love for us, God who's rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace we're saved. God, in his love for us, calls us to repentance. Let me pray that we'd hear the trumpet blasts. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I ask for your mercy on us as a people. We can live as if we're perpetually 19, thinking there's nothing in this world we cannot handle. 
I thank you for the humbling that comes through difficulty. Father, open our minds and hearts to the reality of sin in the world and our need for forgiveness and your love, your love that guarantees forgiveness to all who repent. Move us, Father. Give us the gift of repentance this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand. Would you stand with me? We're going to close in song. If you want prayer, as always, there are people down front that would love to pray with you. Come on down front and, and receive prayer this morning.